Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we're here to talk openly and honestly about miscarriage, stillbirth and all pregnancy loss. We aim to smash the taboo surrounding these subjects. And rebuild the topic in a way to support and educate women. Rather than isolate and shame them. Welcome to the worst girl gang ever. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the worst girl gang ever. We are so excited to be joined today by Laura Bradshaw. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for coming. Your studio... Uh, looks actually very colour coordinated and lovely. Yeah. I know it's very orange. I went for like a calm orange, orange wall. Oh, is it orange? Kinda... It looks pink from my from my perspective. It looks yeah, no, it's, pink it's, and lovely. Yeah, it's kind of, well. It's got flashes of pink, pink and orange. Flashes no, of pink. It's beautiful. Yeah. And if you follow Laura <laughs> on Instagram, you will see that wall a lot. Yes, <laughs> I love your reels. Oh, thank you. Thanks. You no, I've been enjoying them. them. Yeah, they are fun, actually. I just put on all the old tunes and just basically try loads of outfits on and dance a bit. But yeah. it cheers me up. It's good. It's fun. It cheers me up as well. Thanks, mate. Oh, that's all right. Well, well nice fun. Nice Glad work. to have helped. <laughs> well, so, Laura, let's, um, let's start a bit by you telling us how how you came to sort of join this the worst, best, shittiest, crappiest, brilliant, <laughs> most brilliant gang yeah, ever. Yeah, you're not a new member, are you? No, no, not not a new yeah, member. A yeah, five years now, I think, coming up to five years. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's. I feel like it's been my whole life, though. It kind of starts getting to that point when it's when it's five years. It's been a long time. It's almost like a relationship, <laughs> um, but a really bad relationship. <laughs> but yeah, so it kind of started about. Well, it's kind of March two thousand and seventeen. So we were getting married in April, May, t- no May time, and. Um, we kind of said, you know, it wouldn't matter if we got pregnant now, we'd be quite happy with it. So we kind of didn't start trying, but we just, you know, it was just like, you know, if it happens, it happens, it's fine. Um, and crazily, at that point, I didn't realise how lucky I was really. The first month that we weren't really careful, it happened and I fell pregnant. Um, and yeah, and I just thought, oh my God, I'm so lucky to fall pregnant because I'd, I'd read things and I knew that it, for some people, you know, I'd said to Chris, this might not happen straight away. It might be a long time. You know, some people are trying for a long time. I knew, I knew of that. So yeah, so when it happened after, you know, just a month, I was like, oh my God, we, this is going to be a breeze. You know, <laughs> it's going to be easy. How old were you then, Laura? Um, gosh, I must have been, that was about five years ago now. So, oh, here's my maths. So I was about 27. <laughs> um, yeah, and we had, had loads going. That you would have a baby, start, have it, start a family around about that age. Was that always part of your, you know, life plan? I, yeah, I mean, I didn't really have a plan, to be honest, because I, I met Chris, my husband, Chris, we met, I mean, Chris is seven years older than me. So we met, a bit, well, he met a bit later in life in terms of, you know, I'd had boy, long-term boyfriends and broken up with them. And then I couldn't find a boyfriend. And I thought, you know what, don't worry about a life plan. I'm just going to go with the flow. Yeah. Um, but I always thought, you know, late, late 20s, early 30s, maybe that's the time to have a baby. But I was more fixated on I just wanted to get married like I was with Chris and we were engaged and we were getting married and I felt like once I'm married I'd really like to have a family it kind of just that was the order that I thought about doing it mm. um and we we had so much going on at the time like we were getting obviously getting married we we're moving house um our work was really busy and really looking back now I, a baby would have been crazy but it was just the icing on the cake I was like this is amazing um and it went really well. The first few months were fine. Um, I didn't have any issues. And I just kind of focused on wedding planning. And 
told I did tell some of my friends because I had my Hindu coming up and I was like you know what I can't I can't drink so um I told some friends and we obviously told our parents um and then it was I think it was one day where Chris was out I knew my mum was busy everyone in my life at that on that one day that I needed everyone they were all just busy and I just went to the toilet and there was just blood and I just remember that sinking feeling of oh god this isn't good um, and I didn't, I didn't really know about miscarriage a lot, really. I just knew that when you're pregnant, you probably shouldn't see blood. Mm. Um, so I had no one, you know, everyone was busy. I didn't want to bother anyone. And I just called the doctors and explained what had happened. And they said, you know, come down, we'll get an emergency doctor to see you. And I sat in the waiting room, literally shaking, like, didn't know what was going to happen and I remember looking up at the tv screen in the waiting room and it was this big like pregnancy advertisement like are you pregnant call your GP now and I was like I've never noticed that on that tv before why is it on there now and it just felt like everything was just reminding me of it and so yeah so I saw the doctor um and he kind of sat me down and said you know do you know what a miscarriage is and instantly I was like, oh, this is what I'm having. You know, I'm having a miscarriage. It's not going to be good. Um, and he said, you know, I'll get, I'll book you in for a scan tomorrow. And at this point I was about eight weeks, I think, pregnant. Mm. So it was still early. Um, but he said, yeah, I'll book you in for a scan. You'll go to the EPU tomorrow. So I went home and just kind of tried to not think about it and just kind of basically just waited for that scan to come. And we went into the scan um, and it, the baby was on the screen with a hot with a heartbeat. So I was like, oh, OK, this is weird. You know, didn't think any more of it. The doctors were like, don't worry about it. Come back in 10 days if you're still bleeding. See you later. You know, um, sorry to interrupt, Laura. Was was Chris with you at this point when you went for your scan? Yeah, Chris came to the scan okay. at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he came to the scan. And yeah, we kind of left the hot the EPU we were like over the moon we had this picture we were like this everything's fine you know it's just a bit of spotting it's fine but then over the next 10 days it just got so bad that you know it was bleeding was really heavy I was getting pains and obviously the first thing I did when I got home from that scan I still sat on YouTube and Google and Googled everything and my mind was blown I just I didn't realize how like in depth miscarriage can be and how you can have more than one you know it was it was completely new to me really Mm. no one had ever spoken to me about it before I'd never you know I had one friend who had you know she gave birth to her baby and unfortunately she was stillborn and I knew about that but I didn't know about early miscarriage and yeah and that was kind of like the first little insight that I had into it really um and yeah, and after 10 days, I went back to the EPU. I went back in between a few times and they, I had some really, really terrible experiences. I went at like 11 o'clock at night and obviously 11 o'clock at night at the EPU, they don't scan you because there's no staff there. It's all kind of trainee doctors. And, you know, I had, there was one incident where I was having an internal, they were kind of looking, I don't really know what they were doing, but I was having this internal examination and I looked up and there was just six trainee doctors just looking up there and I was like this is actually really really awful yeah it was terrible and you know and they'd give me blood tests and make me wait for hours and then not tell me the results and it was just so confusing and really I would have been better off just staying at home but at the time I didn't really know what was happening to my body it was really scary yeah well you just do what 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 you think is the right thing to do yeah exactly through it a few times that that you realise it doesn't, it isn't always necessarily like that and it shouldn't yeah. be like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so then went back after the 10 days um, to the appointment and I think at that point I was, it was the same day as I was meant to go on my Hindu. So it was the morning of my Hindu. Oh. Um, yeah, and my friends have all, had all arranged this big trip away. It was only like, a, I think it was to the Cotswolds. So it was in within the UK um but they'd arranged it for months and months but it was I was like sorry guys I've got my scan first I'll let you know where I'm at with it um but yeah they you know the baby didn't have a heartbeat at that point but it wasn't a shock to me I I knew because you just I just knew from the amount of bleeding that I was having that it wasn't gonna you know have a heartbeat basically but um but yeah I had 
they, the, <laughs> the doctor was like, you know, go on your Hindu and come back on Monday and we'll see what we have to do then. So I went on my Hindu and I can't believe I went really, but wow. I went, yeah, I went and basically had the miscarriage on my Hindu. But my friends were amazing and they understood, you know, to a certain extent, they understood what I was going through. And we just had a really cosy time, like watching TV and, you know, just kind of chilled really. But it was, it was, yeah, it was like a whirlwind. So, mm. yeah. And then I, so then the miscarriage happened and everything and loads more hospital visits and UTIs and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we had our weddings so that kind of kept me occupied, really. Mm. Um, and then we got married and, you know, thought, well, we'll try again. And then we got pregnant again in October. I think it was 2017. And that time I was like, this is going to, this is going to be the one. Like everyone was saying, you know, your first, your first one, you're unlikely to then have a second miscarriage. And then I went yeah. to the toilet again about six weeks and it was, I was bleeding again. And I was like, this is like history repeating itself in the most cruelest way mm. ever. Mm. Um, and I think the second miscarriage actually hit me harder in a way because I was sure that I wasn't going to go through it again. Yeah. I was like, I've had my miscarriage. <laughs> I've gone through it. This time it will be OK. Um, but yeah, that second one was hard, actually. Um, I guess after you've had two, you must reach a point where you're like, is this me? Is this what is going to happen every time now? Yeah. And that that must be a really frightening place to be, to yeah. be in the in the place of like it's so devastating to go through once and to multiply that it just I mean gosh did you yeah. find mentally I know you said that your second one was harder did you find it mentally more difficult to kind of recover from that second and try and start trying again or were you quite like right let's let's move on yeah I mean I think after every one I've always I've always known I'm going to try again because I think that's that's what we just do isn't it you know you have a miscarriage and you pick yourself up eventually and you do try again because you want the end goal which is a baby and you know mm. the only way you're going to get there is to try again um but I think after the second one I got into this mindset of I have to I have to find out what's wrong with me and fix it because I can't keep going through this time and yeah. time again um and I just went into you know phoning doctors trying to get appointments but as we all know, after two, they don't take you seriously. You have to have three. Um, I think that's kind of on, it, it's changing now. But at the time, every doctor I spoke to was you have to have another miscarriage and then come back and we'll do blood tests. Yeah. And I think I got oh to that realisation. Yeah, after two, I was like, you know what? We've got to try again and have another miscarriage and then I can have the blood tests. And it was almost like I was waiting to have the third one. That's awful, isn't it? I mean, that feeling yeah. of like having to sort of this sounds I don't really know how to word it but like taking the positive out of a third miscarriage is the fact that you will then get help yeah it just shouldn't be that way it shouldn't be that way it's no so I mean one is enough for anyone to go through but two yeah and to still go through two and be told that you're not eligible for help you've got to lose another baby you've got to go through that all again your body has to go through that physical trauma and pain yeah. And mentally, you've got to you've got to come to terms with the fact again that you've lost now three babies. It's just yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah. And I was never, I was never in that time offered any, you know, any emotional help, any counselling. No doctor ever asked me if I was okay. You know, I cried at every appointment because at that point it was so hard for me to even talk about it. You know. Mm. I, you know that was before COVID so Chris could come to the point the appointments with me and he would actually speak for me I'd say to him what I wanted him to say and he would talk for me and the doctors would like look at me like why are you not speaking but I just physically couldn't talk about it it was so painful but they would never you know they'd never say to me do you need any counseling or any emotional support and it was it was crazy looking back I think it's crazy that they don't realize how you know, emotionally difficult it is to go through one miscarriage or two, no matter how many miscarriages you have, they're so hard to go through. Um, and yeah, and just to turn you away, like I've been turned away by so many doctors anyway, but at that point I was like, it really shocked me how little they were prepared to help. Um, you know, I could go to the doctors with tonsillitis four times and it'd be like the worst thing in the world but it's like a baby it's like yep have four miscarriages yeah, have three yeah. miscarriages and it's no big deal you know yeah. 
you go, you, if you, and that's so right. If you go to the, the, the doctor with a chronic problem, right, tons, like tonsillitis, for example, they're like, yeah. oh, you poor thing. Oh, that must be so miserable for you. Yeah, you go, and, and drugs. <laughs> yeah, let's get yeah. this problem sorted for you. Don't worry, you're, you're here now. We'll get it all sorted for you. Yeah. Why is there not that same sympathy and that same understanding for... Well, I mean, they just fob you off. But the, the reason for the whole three losses rule, it, well, it's policy. So yeah. their hands are tied, really. Mm. doesn't mean they can't have some sort of compassion and be a little bit kinder. Yeah. Appointments. But it's, you know, the whole, well, your blog is called It's Just Bad Luck, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and in theory, like science, mm. I'm doing quote marks here, in theory... <laughs> The first, you know, if you have one miscarriage, lots of people have one miscarriage yeah. and it's unlikely to be like um, a, a cause that needs treatment, you know, or that can be treated at all. The chromosomal abnormalities and all of that sort of yeah. thing. So that's why they have that rule in place, because if everybody who had one miscarriage had all of this, those tests, that would be that would mean that all of these women would be tested and a lot of them for no good reason. Like there wouldn't be an, a result that... Yeah, there wouldn't be any answers for them. <clears throat> Did you get told that a lot? It's just bad luck. Yeah, all the time. Like every doctor, especially at the beginning, it was like... I mean, I went, I, even when I went private, because at that point, after the two miscarriages, I did see a doctor at my GP surgery after going through, I literally went through the list and I just saw every single doctor. And one of them did actually agree to give me some blood tests. She didn't give me like the whole shebang, but she yeah, gave me some like blood tests. tests. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes if you speak to your GP, um, for anyone listening who's had one or two mm. and, and wants to get some testing done if you can get them to just check your thyroid yeah um, and your blood clotting like they're basic tests that are done at a recurrent miscarriage clinic so if you can get those done before having to go through that third loss then yeah you know go for it if you've got an understanding gp yeah some of them do i think that the one of the the big things is is that it although obviously there is there is the testing but the testing that that does for your mind being taken seriously to yeah. go to the doctor after two losses or one loss and say, and not be yeah. fobbed off and say, this has happened to me and I'm, I'm, you know, obviously I'm devastated. And for them to say, right, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is the plan. Yeah. Instead of just like, say, oh, we can't do anything up until you've had you. another loss. Yeah. If you have another loss, then we'll start to look at it. But actually, if they sat and they looked you in the eye and they said, I am so sorry that you've been through this. This is what we can do now. And then we'll look at we'll look at things when you've done this, you know, increase, increase, make sure you're eating healthy, make, you know, giving lifestyle yeah. guidance as well. At least just gives you a kind of a plan. And I think when you have a plan, when you're in that deep trauma and heartbreak, you feel like you've got something. And that is yeah. really important for your mental health. Yeah, that's all I wanted. Even if they just said to me, look, we'll give you a blood test for one thing, vitamin D or whatever. I would have been like, yeah. great, that's something that okay, I know. Cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, I did have, in the end, I did get some blood tests and they all come back fine. And I, then I decided, well, actually I'm going to go private. And it was the private doctor that was actually like, you know, there's not much we can do for you. It's probably just bad luck. And that's the first time I kind of heard that phrase. Um, and I was like, I'm, I'm literally paying you hundreds of pounds to find something please just find something you know I was so desperate for this kind of answer for why this was happening um and I think at that point I had a high cozy I think they call it when they kind of put a dye through your tubes on a scan and they can see if the tubes are open and or if they're blocked so I had that done um and they were they were kind of like a bit coy about it like oh they were kind of blocked but we've managed to unblock them by flushing this liquid through and all this stuff and um whether that you know I got to the point where I didn't even trust the private doctors at this point I was like mm. are they just saying that because they want me to think that they've done something helpful I don't know um so yes yeah, so I had that done and then I kind of I think I was taking I googled about baby aspirin like low dose aspirin so I was taking that and then we got pregnant again I think this was January 2018 um and then the same thing happened and by this point I was like you know what I get to six weeks I go to the toilet in the morning there's blood miscarriage don't even need a scan I know it's already happened mm. and I was like had the EPU on speed dial do you know what I mean I was like phoning the early pregnancy unit like this is what's happened I've probably already had a miscarriage you might as well just scan me just to check um 
And yeah, so third miscarriage, I just kind of like, I was so used to it. I just thought this is just like, what's going to happen really did you did you feel like that third miscarriage was almost as we were saying earlier almost just to check a tick box for you to kind of access something else yeah it did it felt like well at least I can get the blood tests and some testing and referrals but also by that point I just kind of I in my head I was like well what the hell are they going to find I really got to the point where I was like I don't think they're going to help me I don't know what they can find that you know, I'd had a few blood tests already and I was kind of like, not on the verge of giving up, but I just got to that point where I was just so fed up with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that was the upside of that miscarriage was, well, at least we can be referred and get blood testing. And um, I had the entire blood testing, um, I don't know, list of what they do, everything come back fine, um, which for normal, <laughs> normal people getting a blood test come back fine is like oh good you know I'm not I'm not ill I'm fine but for me I I was devastated I was like something has to be wrong and I wanted something you want something to be wrong because you want a reason yeah yeah and then you can you know get get what you want at the end of it which is yeah yeah you know I was kind of in that same bloody limbo again aren't you yeah if you've got nothing to fix yeah. If you if you if, if the results come back saying that that you've got nothing to fix, then how do you fucking move on from exactly. that? How do you move forward? Yeah, exactly. I was just like, you know what? I was googling like thyroid high thyroid symptoms, and I was thinking, well, that could be me. And then the blood tests would come back fine, and I'd be like, for yeah. God's sake, why is my thyroid good? You know, and it was crazy, really. But yeah, yeah you just want that. You just want that cure that you can hopefully take a magic pill for and then it will never happen again. But um, but yeah, obviously, I didn't get that. I didn't get those answers. And, you know, I was referred to the recurrent miscarriage clinic at my hospital at this point, got there. And again, they didn't really know what to do with me. Um, And it was that whole, you know, try again and let us know when you're pregnant, come back. So even when I got referred, it was still like, you know, you need to be pregnant. Got to do it again. Yeah. Oh. Um, so I think that, so that was January, the third one. And then we didn't fall pregnant again until December of that year. So it was kind of like a whole year, really. Um, and at that point, I, th- I think I'd been to a different doctor and they'd actually given me progesterone. Um, I saw a trial run by Tommy's baby charity about progesterone and how it can stop bleeding in early pregnancy. Um and I thought, well, that's me. So I'm going to try that. So this doctor had given me progesterone. Um, he actually prescribed me, like, he didn't advise me on how to take it. So I was actually taking the wrong dose. I was taking it all in one go, which I think you're meant to space it out between 12 hours. I didn't know that at the time. So fell pregnant in December, was taking the progesterone, was thinking, well, I'm doing something at least. Mm. Um, and I'd read that you don't spot with progesterone. It kind of stops all the spotting got to six weeks went to the toilet and there's blood again and I was like oh my god I was like even my body through progesterone is still managing to bleed and I was just got to that point where I was like well you know second of January on a new year and I'm starting the year on a miscarriage again and mm. yeah in the fourth one I was just I just was so cheesed off and so fed up. And obviously it had taken us a lot longer that time to fall pregnant as well. And I was thinking I was getting worried that it wasn't going to happen again. And yeah, that was probably my lowest point. I just, you know, I could, I just couldn't believe it really. It was just probably the hardest time of my life ever because I just felt like, what is the point? And you do, you just like, you know. At the meantime, were all of your friends getting pregnant and yeah (laughs) you've been going through this for what a few years at that point and and got nothing to show for it and and they're all just having them yeah I know like I think when I first I had one friend five years ago when we were when we first got pregnant who had a baby so that was just one or maybe one or two that were kind of pregnant at the time. And now I don't know one single person in my life without a baby. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, you know, over that time, yeah, everyone was falling pregnant and it made friendships so awkward because they didn't know how to tell me. I didn't know how to take it. Mm. And 
we just, you know, some friends, we just didn't talk throughout through that time. I couldn't support them in pregnancy and they couldn't support me in miscarriage. So we almost like didn't want to speak to each other because, you know, from my point of view, who wants to speak to me when I'm talking about miscarriage when they're early pregnant? Like it's, I felt like a disease to people, you know, I felt like I was like this, you know, they could catch a miscarriage from me. That's honestly how I felt. So yeah, it's, it's been crazy in that respect, really. That's, that's, we were talking about this in a post the other day. It's so incredibly isolating when, when you have those group of friends, because as you say, they don't know how to, you, you know, your pain is too much for them. Yeah. And their happiness is too yeah. painful for you yeah definitely. so you're sort of but what I, and how do you na- how did you how did you navigate that when you said you're at your lo- lowest point after your fourth loss how did you start to pick yourself up oh I mean I tried I did try everything I tried you know mindfulness I tried yoga <laughs> meditation none of that worked for me I just I think the best thing I did was just give myself time and mm. just look after myself. Really. I, I stopped worrying about seeing people when I didn't feel like it. Cause I would, I would be that person that, you know, like the Hindu situation, I didn't r- probably really want to go on my Hindu, but I didn't want to let my friends down. Whereas I got to that point where I was like, you know what, if there's a baby shower, I just a hundred percent cannot go. And I'm going to stop making excuses for it. I'm just going to say, this isn't for me. I'm sorry. And I just started just kind of putting myself first in terms of doing things that I knew were good for me rather than just doing things that would leave me crying and leaving me upset. But it it took, I mean, I would say that I'm only, you know, a few years after the, after all of this, only really just at that point where I can talk about miscarriage and it's not, you know, it's, I don't feel like I need to cry about it. It takes a long time to heal from a miscarriage mm. um and I don't think you ever 100% do truly heal from it I think it's just learning to live with it mm. but in terms of my friends I just took space when I needed it and I knew that the friends that understood that and understood that I need space would still be there at the end of it and the ones that maybe didn't understand wouldn't be there um but you do it's a weird thing because you do have to accept that sometimes you do just lose friends through it. Mm. Um, I think so many people are so bent out of shape because they try and sort of hold on to these friendships that are painful to hold on to for whatever yeah. reason. Maybe it's a lack of understanding. Maybe it's uh, the fact that these, these friendships have got pregnancies or children. Um, I think particularly as women, we're so desperate to hold on and be a good friend and be a good person and be this you know everything to everyone all the time that we actually damage ourselves quite quite badly by by doing that and I think that's amazing that you were able to recognize the fact that you actually did have to look after yourself you did have to put your boundaries up you did have to refuse the invites no matter what anyone thought and as you say the friends that you had that understood that and the friends that took the time to meet you where you were instead of looking at what you weren't doing almost and, and judging that mm. are the ones that are, are really definitely worth keeping around right yeah definitely definitely and you know there'd be times when I would go and do things and I'd go and see my friends and when they all had children all of the children were together and I the conversation was completely children-led because that's what they wanted to talk about so I did very quickly realize that actually this isn't healthy and I think I think you just need to sometimes be in those situations to realize they're not good for you but it's okay to say this isn't actually good for me at the moment. I hope that's okay. Or I'll see you next time. But yeah. like you say, you, you have to do everything, you know, we, you yeah. don't have to. Um, it's a shame though. Uh, like my, my experience was quite similar to yours in the point that I then reached like a, a breaking point where I just withdrew and um, avoided most things just for sort of yeah. self-preservation. But I think it's such a shame that, that people get to that point because maybe if we could have, I don't know about you, but if I could have put boundaries in place sooner, mm. I might not have reached that awful, you know, mental health crisis almost, you know? Yeah. And, and I just want other people who, are, who feel themselves getting that way to, 
to notice it sooner and 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 put boundaries in place and have coping mechanisms so that so that they don't reach that pit of despair that we both did you know yeah definitely definitely that's one thing I exactly that if I could go back and change anything it would be that just just you know put yourself first because it's such a hard thing it's you know I think even when you hear about miscarriage I don't think you ever truly know how hard it is unless you've been through it and Mm. it is so you know draining and isolating and you do just have to you know if you don't feel like doing something you don't have to do it (laughs) yeah yeah but yeah. Yeah. So but, here's your permission, girls. Yes. You're listening. <laughs> don't want to go to that fucking baby shower. Don't go. <laughs> yes. Do you know what? I would never ever go to a baby shower ever again. I don't think I ever could in my lifetime. And I don't feel bad for that. I'm like, you know what? Baby showers are not for me. I'm not gonna go. Mm-hmm. And that's I think that's fine. I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think it's you know, it's protect it's protecting yourself, you yeah. know. Absolutely. And the joy that others have at these at these events like baby showers is that's enough. You don't yeah. have to, you know, you you're obviously not going to be able to bring a genuine joy, understandably. So what did Sophie yeah. say? The infertile midwife. She said something like that, didn't she? She said she did. She said, um, they don't need your joy. They've got enough by themselves, yeah. you know, they don't need what your what you can bring to the environment the atmosphere so don't worry about it don't go yeah, yeah. it's so and true as well you do feel well I certainly felt like I was a little black cloud for mm. for a long time afterwards and I kind of although this is very like oh I don't want to I don't want to put you through that and that's not what we're talking about but I did feel a bit like I didn't want to be there because I didn't want to I didn't want to bring my rain cloud to someone else's. I didn't want to talk to pregnant friends about miscarriage. I didn't want to do that because no. it wasn't, I didn't feel like that was fair on them. And yes, yeah, I don't want their sympathy either. You don't want, you know, you might be at a point where you're like, oh, I just don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think yeah. about it. I just want to be normal. But then, you know, people, because they, they want to make you feel better and be understanding yeah. and supportive, they'll be like, so how are you? How are things <laughs> yeah. baby making? I yeah. know. It can catch you, you don't guard. know what you want, do you? Because no. you, want, you want to get the invite, but you don't want to go. Yeah. It's hard being friends with someone like us. I know. It really is. Because if you didn't get invited, you'd be really upset. It's like, really? I, th- I think that the thing is, is an invite that's kind of an open invite. Like, you're invited, but I 100% understand if you don't want to come, yeah. you're not going to, I'm not going to be angry with you, but I didn't want to not, I didn't want to not invite you. That's kind of like the best invite, I think. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That's, that's someone that 100% gets what you're going through. Yeah, no pressure. Um, yeah, yeah, no, no pressure kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, I just kind of closed myself off really to everyone, you know. And that, was there a point, so that was, did you say that was January 2018? Um, no, December, that was December. December 2018, yeah. And was so, there a point after that that you felt like you started to turn a corner and, and climb out of the misery? Um, oh, I don't know, really. I think <laughs> the thing is, at that point, I was having some other symptoms. I was getting a lot of, um, like, really severe pains, like, in my kind of ovary area. Right. Um, and whether it I mean at the time I thought maybe I'm just obsessed maybe I'm just going mad that you know I think my body's broken so I've broken it that's you know what the hell's like a psychosomatic thing yeah and you know we carried on trying throughout the next year and then it turned into two years and at this point I was still going back and forth to various consultants and recurrent because what happened is because we weren't conceiving anymore it felt the recurrent miscarriage clinic were kind of like you know we'll give you the medication we'll give you we'll give you steroids we'll give you blood thinners but you're not falling pregnant so we can't really do anything with you so I was kind of in this like weird limbo of not falling pregnant and not being able to be treated for miscarriage because I wasn't falling pregnant so we then got I think it had been three years we've been trying nothing had happened um and I mean, in between this time, I'd done loads of research. I'd seen loads of doctors and had acupuncture. My sister-in-law, bless her, she's an acupuncturist and she gave me free acupuncture for a year to try and kind of sort. Yeah, she was amazing, actually, just to try and sort things out. But even that wouldn't work. 
Um, I was taking all the vitamins in the world and it was just, you know, I got, I mean, three years trying, I was like, okay, something's wrong. We're now not even falling pregnant. And to go from going through recurrent miscarriage to then infertility, I was like, you know, this is actually really, really cruel because even if I got pregnant now, I then have the miscarriage. I felt like I had every infertility problem going basically. Um, And, you know, and during that time of the infertility, all I could remember was people saying to me, well, at least you can get pregnant. At least you can fall pregnant easily. And then I was like, but now I can't. Um, so yeah, so during that time I did, I went to, um, Tommy's baby charity and they run a clinic in um, London and I went there for a hysteroscopy that was just before COVID. And they found that I had a uterine septum, which I think you had Laura, didn't you? Um, which is basically where your, your, um, wound can be kind of slightly heart shaped. They corrected that. And then I went home and thought, yeah, that's it. That's why we're not falling pregnant. They said to me, that's why you're not falling pregnant. I've got my answer. And then another year went by, still not falling pregnant. And during that time, I had these pains were getting quite severe. Um, And my mum actually has, well, she used to have endometriosis. So in my head, I was thinking, you know, I think I've got endometriosis explained the symptoms to her and she said yeah they sound exactly the same kind of pains and getting a doctor again to take me seriously for this was like it was crazy I was told no so many times two years ago I asked for um, investigations into endometriosis and they said to me no you haven't got endometriosis you're fine isn't it one of the hardest things to get a um diagnosis for like yeah. it can take three to four i saw some stats recently three to four years to be yeah diagnosed with endo yeah why? and why is it so bad I, I just don't know do you know what it was very similar to the miscarriage help it was like I was ha- I mean these pains that I was having as well they they're enough to I was you know every month was on a ball in the on the on the floor severe pains where I was literally like cry like saying to Chris like just get me every painkiller we have I would have taken the whole lot that's how bad they were I was like you know and this was happening every month and they said to me at first it was ovulation pain which I was like okay some people do suffer with that but this is you know to the extreme um yeah they just didn't they didn't want to didn't want to investigate it didn't want to look into that even with the infertility they just weren't interested Um, And it took me two, I think two and a half years to finally get to a doctor that was, um, he was an infertility doctor. And he said to me, okay, we'll give you a laparoscopy, which is like a camera to check if you've got endometriosis. Um, And obviously during that time was COVID. So I think, you know, it got pushed back and back for another year. And I had that done in um, May, 2021. And when I woke up, the surgeon come through and she was like, okay, the bad news is you've got really severe stage four endometriosis. Um, It's deep infiltrating. You'll probably have to have some bowel removed. Um, It's everywhere. We couldn't remove any of it. It's not, we're not able to remove it. But she said, but the good news is your tubes are unblocked. (laughs) So you should be able to fall pregnant. So I was like, well, at least I had that kind of hope but you know it had been three years I knew that it was not going to be good um but yeah and I mean that again just sent me into this spiral of just you know despair really and I again researched into it and endometriosis can basically cause like a hostile environment so it can sometimes mean that maybe the egg and the sperm aren't meeting or when they do meet the environment kind of damages them in some way so that kind of stops you falling pregnant um, I also have adenosis as well which is where it kind of is in the womb muscle as well so again that can cause a miscarriage kind of side of things um, so I kind of finally had this answer and I think I had I've had endometriosis she said you've had this for a long time yeah. so I assume it's been you know the reason for everything but I yeah I had my reason and then I was like okay, this isn't the reason I want. I don't want this to be my answer. (laughs) An easy one to deal with, is it? No, it was awful. And I just felt it it was like, it was kind of like going through the miscarriages all over again. It was that grief of, you know, my body not 
being what I thought it was or not doing what I wanted it to do. Um, And yeah, I found, you know, I was really, really low after that endometriosis diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And I mean, at this point, I had actually opened up about the miscarriages on my Instagram and on my YouTube, and I had the website. And, you know, I spoke about endometriosis on there. And so many people messaged me saying that they had children, even though they had endometriosis. But I just felt really isolated and alone again, Mm -hmm. you know. But, um, Have you ever been in touch with um, Zara Dawson? Yes, I think you said, yes, yeah, I have, I've, I think I follow her actually and I have seen, because she has endometriosis, right? Yeah, yeah. yes, sort of quite quite similar, the way she suffered, she would just spend yeah. like ovulation on the floor in the bathroom. Yeah, mm. it's, I mean, it's, I it's just, it's so hard because when you get that pain and when I first I mean when I first had the pain I was like there is no way a baby could ever survive in there when I've got this pain because it's so it's so severe um but then you know doctors are like well getting pregnant actually helps with endometriosis and then they start telling you that and you're like yep well I can't fall pregnant so (laughs) thanks for that but it's not happening so it's not very helpful um, is it no, so not say, really. Get pregnant, that will solve your your. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, right, obviously. Sure. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. They, they, I think they get the medical professionals can be so clumsy mm. and flippant. I remember being told, like, I didn't get periods at all, and being told, oh, actually, ironically, like the best, the best, you're the best chance you've got of having a baby is to have a baby because then it should reset your system. And I'm yeah, like, cool, thanks. Oh, thanks. Brilliant. <laughs> Real awesome. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, So how do how do things look for you now, Laura? So, yeah. So after um, so after we had the endometriosis, we the diagnosis from that, I took some I took loads of time out just to kind of recover from that. And then basically IVF was mentioned to us from my consultant. Um, I had a really good endometriosis consultant. She was amazing. She explained everything like she'd phone me and Chris had like an A4 sheet of questions and she'd answer everything. And then unfortunately she left. So we didn't actually get to speak to her again, but she had said, you have to have IVF. Um, You can carry on trying naturally. There's no reason why you can't fall pregnant naturally. Your tubes are okay, but IVF is going to be the best way. Um, So then I, I grieved for a while because I think, IVF is a very it's so it's another complicated part of infertility especially when you've fallen pregnant naturally so many times and had miscarriages and then infertility and then IVF is there it's a lot um and IVF in itself isn't something you can just kind of skip into um but we got referred for IVF and we've just we actually just did our first round of IVF over Christmas um so yeah, and that went well. You know, I have embryos frozen, which has given me a bit of a backup yeah. um, in terms of the miscarriages. And IVF for me was it was a really positive experience actually because it was controlled and I had some control over it. You know, they kind of scan you more often, so you know what your body's doing. You're doing the injections every day, so you feel like you're doing something. Whereas trying and trying and trying to get pregnant after infertility and then having the miscarriages, you almost have like no control over any of that. Um, So IVF was, in a way, it was kind of like a bit of a nice change from naturally trying for so long. Mm. Um, So, yeah, so the IVF, you know, that's that's kind of the last thing that we've been going through, really. Um, And then just basically blasting all the medication that I can at it you know steroids progesterone blood thinners because I have embryos frozen now and they can kind of obviously pick a transfer date I can take the medication exactly when I need to whereas when I was trying naturally I couldn't ever really do that so it's a bit more managed and controlled which is good Um, and also the IVF kind of proved that it kind of did prove that it was endometriosis in a way because we were able to make, you know, I had eggs. We we managed to have embryos made, which I was getting worried that we weren't compatible and our bodies, you know, we weren't ever going to make any embryos and things like that. So it's just, I think it's just the hostile environment that just got to a point, maybe the miscarriages, it just got to a point where my body was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Mm. Um, 
but yeah so it's <laughs> I've basically been through every part of <laughs> every treatment of infertility that you can possibly go for I think so it's it's been a bit of a yeah it's been a long a roller coaster yeah, yeah absolutely and how like you just you come across as so positive how have you been able to maintain that in you know re- recently with the IVF and stuff because I know that IVF in itself is such a roller coaster isn't it never mind after having been through everything you've currently already been through I just um I mean I I don't always have those positive days obviously I have those days where I'm like you know like almost like traumatized by everything yeah yeah but then I think well you know I have a great husband that I love I have a lovely life I love my job I have my little dog who literally my dog is my child <laughs> and I just <laughs> I just try and think of all the things that I do have and I mean I've gone through phases of you know I'm never going to have a baby I'm going to be someone that's not going to have children and I just have to learn to live with that and I think over those three years of not falling pregnant again I did kind of come to terms, actually, like I looked at my life and I thought, you know what, if we don't have children, there are some pros to this. It's not all misery and, you know, it won't be a life full of, you know, misery and sadness. We can do things that we wouldn't do normally. And I try to kind of think, well, if it doesn't happen, these are what this is what we can do with our life instead. And we both came to that conclusion, especially when we got close to the IVF, because I knew that you know, I know that IVF isn't 100% guaranteed. It's it's almost, you know, it's one of those things where you can have as many eggs and embryos as you want, but it doesn't mean your body is going to accept them. It's the same kind of risk and uncertainty as miscarriages. But so we said, you know, three rounds of IVF, if we don't get any embryos, we'll try three times and then that's it. And I think having that cut off just kind of gave me kind of like a way out I'm bored of all of this you know it's Mm. it's really tiring to keep going through you know all of these appointments and testing and the mental side of things and I think that helped me it did kind of help me get my head around it I guess yeah Yeah. um like you say that control aspect is is really important isn't it when you've gone through all of all of that that you've had yeah control over yeah yeah oh Laura (laughs) for you thank you (laughs) yeah Yeah. fingers crossed fingers crossed but um yeah the yeah it's you know it's been a long five years but I've also grown so much as a person in that time as well and I Mm. think it's you know like you I speak to so many people online that have been through it and you know you're not alone but it's you know there's so many people that go through it and you feel alone, but actually talking and listening like stuff like this, I would have loved to have a podcast to listen to when I went through my first miscarriage. And I think it's so helpful for people to know that, you know, even though it's the worst thing at the time that you're going through, time does help and you do start to feel better. Um, And I think now even, you know, looking back at those four miscarriages, sometimes it's almost like they didn't even happen to me. I can't believe that Mm. I went through it, all of that. But time has definitely helped me digest it and think a bit more positively about, you know, as a person, how much I've grown. And anyone that goes through infertility and miscarriage is such a strong person. It's it's one of those things. It's not a choice, is it? People say, oh, you're so strong or... Or, mm. oh, I can't believe you've been through that. You're amazing. And, and you're like, it's not a choice. And it's not a choice that anyone would ever choose. It's not no. a choice that you would make. <laughs> but when you do go through through it, um, you do change, I think. Mm. Even if you don't like, no matter what your experience of loss and, and infertility is, it does make you sort of, I think it makes you see a bit more than like tunnel vision because you do start asking questions and you do start seeing things from other people's I think it makes you really empathetic or much more empathetic and actually it shows that that life has different I think you are better tend to be better at prioritizing things 
once you've been through something really traumatic like this. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You appreciate the smaller little moments that you probably just would glaze over normally. And, um, you know, and I think as well, if you do get to that point where you have children, I always think and we always say together, if we ever do get to that point, we have a baby it will be so loved and appreciated. And that's not to say that someone that doesn't go through any of this doesn't love and appreciate their Mm. child, but they become, it will be so special. And it's like that with our dog. Like he is so special to us because he's, you know, he saved us in a really, really hard time. Yeah. And, um, you know, we appreciate little things like that. And, and yeah, I mean, we, yeah. Yeah, Bernie. <laughs> oh, I love it. He's the most spoiled dog in the world, but he's, he's, he's cute. <laughs> but yeah, no, he's um, yeah, he's amazing. Dogs are amazing when you go through, um, you know, infertility and anything like that. He's he's he always knows when I need a cuddle. <laughs> but they're not just for Christmas, right? No, yes, don't definitely. just go get a dog. <laughs> oh yeah, no, you have to, you have to really want one. You have to take a lot of responsibility. (laughs) Oh, Laura, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. That's okay. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being so honest as well. I think this podcast is going to help so many people just listening. As you say, like so many people said to us, I wish that this sort of thing was around when I had my first miscarriage, when I was going through recurrent miscarriage, whatever, because it just, it gives other people like a, a voice to, to feel less and helps them feel less isolated normalizes it because it is it's a a, a horrifically heartbreaking situation but it is a normal situation for a woman to be in sadly and I think as as long as we can normalize it and and carry on talking about it then it takes some of the some of that real sting of of loneliness out of it and I think that's um that's what we're aiming for anyway yeah definitely 100% so if people want to find you You've got you've got loads on the go, haven't you? You've got a website. Yeah, yeah not in real life, just on uh, social media. Yeah, <laughs> just on my computer. <laughs> Online. Yeah. Don't and go your giving YouTube? your address out. <laughs> yeah, YouTube. I've been a bit slack actually. I just you know, it's it's just I've been through a lot recently, so it's kind of like you know, and yeah, exactly. But yeah, I've got my Instagram, which is I'm Laura Bradshaw which I do the fashion stuff, but I talk obviously about the um, fertility side of things on there. But then I've got my website, justbadluck.co.uk, which is, um, you know, everything to do with miscarriage, infertility, endometriosis. Um, And that's kind of like where I type up all, you know, all my thoughts and feelings, but I have guest posts on there as well. So yeah, so I do that. And basically I'm Laura Bradshaw everywhere online is where I'll be. (laughs) So go find her. Yeah, <laughs> don't go to her front door. No, like Bernie, yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> all right, lovely. Thank you so much. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for having me. And yes. all the best. Yes, yes. We think of you loads, and do do keep in touch, won't you? Yes, so we'll do. Thank you. For all right, me. lots of love. Okay. Take Take care. Bye. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And please, please, when you have a second, rate us, review us and share us. And let's get this taboo smashed. See you next week. Hi, my name is Kay Adams. And to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process. So I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.